trust yourself to trust some people. Occasionally you'll get it wrong, but when you find people that you do trust and you can trust, then you can learn from them. Because there's nobody in the whole world who thinks exactly like you. So they're going to disagree with you, these people. And if you trust them, you're going to learn from them a bit. Let them talk to you. Let them educate you. Let them tell you stuff that you don't know. Greetings, hello, good day, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining True Hope Cast, the official podcast of True Hope Canada. My name is Simon, I am your host. True Hope Canada is a mind and body-based supplement company that is dedicated first and foremost to promoting brain and body health through non-invasive nutritional means. For more information about True Hope, you can visit truehopecanada.com. This is our first show of 2022, so Happy New Year to everybody. And today we're going to be welcoming Dr. Hugh Wilborn back to the show. Hugh was on the show in March of last year on episode 12, where we discussed COVID-19, humility and solutions. But today we're going to be talking about trust in a world of conflict and deceit. Enjoy the show. Okay, Dr. Wilborn, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for inviting me back. I'm, I'm honoured. Thank you. It's great to have you back. It's a new year. It's our first episode of 2022. So um, we're excited to kick off the new year with some interesting topics that are relevant to what most people are experiencing around the world. And I thought today, you know, we had a chat last week about what we could talk about. And I made so many notes. It was ridiculous. I was writing <laughs> on every little bit of scrap paper I could, but I, I found myself coming back towards the word trust in this in the last couple of years I thought trust is a very very interesting word it's an interesting concept and I think it's changed for a lot of people and especially in a world of you know conflicting information and a lot of deceit perhaps so I just thought before we kick off for those people who are unfamiliar with you would you be kind enough to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do Oh, gracious. Yeah, um, I'm going to try and keep this short. <laughs> I've had a multi-strand career, yeah? So um, I trained as a psychotherapist. I've worked as a psychotherapist, sometimes almost full-time. Right now, I have just picked up two or three clients. Um, uh, I'm also a qualitative researcher, so that's commercial research, uh, looking at um, strategies, for example, or brands or uh, new product development or policies, stuff like that, working for either big corporations or charities or governments, um, trying to find out what people think about things. Uh, I'm a philosopher, a storyteller, an author, and a teacher. I'm just about to start teaching at a university here. I'm currently living in Vietnam. I'm British. I lived most of my life in the UK, but travelled a fair bit. Um, and I've got a, a wife and a couple of small boys, which kind of focuses the mind a bit as well. Wonderful. So with small children in your life and partners and different businesses and different colleagues, employees, employers, etc., trust is without question a huge part of any relationship, be it with your two-year-old child or a boss. So when you actually hear the words trust, 
where does your mind kind of immediately take you? <laughs> it takes me back away, actually. Um, so uh, one of the things I did a, a long time ago was I wrote some scripts for some videos, by which I mean videotapes. This was back in the day of videotapes, not CDs, not downloads, whatever. This is that long ago, okay? Um, so it was a series of, of uh, videotapes. I was the author. And um, the guy who was basically putting up the money for the whole thing uh, had a, he was brave to put the money up, but turned out he had a, a fairly sketchy reputation um, and uh, various things had come up. People were a little bit worried about. Anyway, the day before I was due to deliver the first set of scripts, I get a phone call from in, from this guy and he says to me, Hugh, Hugh, mate, um, uh, having cash flow problems, you know, if you can just deliver the scripts, you know, later we can, you know, we can sort out the payment later on, you know. And um, the alarm bells were ringing all over my uh, bed and my head and everything. So um, I said, well, no, uh, Mr. X, I think, um, I think I'd rather actually get the money on delivery. You know, that's the kind of deal. And he said, ah, oh, come on, come on, come on. We got to have a, you've got to have a bit of trust in your relationships. And I said, yes, Mr. X, you're absolutely right. We do have to have trust. And I trust the contract that we signed. So the next day, literally, that I had, I handed over the scripts with one hand and collected the check with the other hand. And um, I was actually, exactly, yeah. And I was actually the only person who came out ahead in that particular deal. The talent and all the other people, uh, they got screwed, really. So, um, so those other so people, enough, those other people that got who got screwed over, ha like where was their trust? Like you, you, you had trust in the contract, and you had trust in yourself to, you know, kind of stick by your guns because you know you had some alarm bells were ringing, ringing there a little bit. So your trust moved from this individual to the contract you had and your own confidence, I suppose. But these other people who kind of missed out, they were they were they foolish with their trust? Did they give it away? Were they, you know, what, what do you think? I, I, I'm not really, I can't remember enough about that situation. I can you remember, I can remember two things. One was, uh, the guy was the only prepared to finance this set of uh, videos. So that he was a bit of a, he was willing to risk money. It's just, he also uh, wasn't particularly well organized and um, his accounting never seemed to generate the profit that was expected to generate the revenue for everybody else. Um, so let's say, uh, they learned from the experience. Okay. Let's put it that way. Because <laughs> then this individual maybe had a little bit too much trust with his own project or his own potential or his own ability to pull these things together. Yeah, I think I think he he had a little. He was definitely overconfident in in his other areas of of, of work, and uh, sadly things didn't go too well uh, in the long term for him. Um, so there's a good there's a there's a couple of if you like negatives about trust, like trusting yourself without enough basis, 
without enough experience, without enough competence, can be a problem. And particularly trusting other people who say, you've got to trust me, that's always an alarm bell for me. I think, well, if I trust you, I don't even have to talk about it, right? I don't, um, for example, Simon, I trust you, right? Now we've never had a conversation, do we trust each other, right? It's, it's never been explicit, you know. Um, are you going to do something terrible with this interview? I don't think you will, actually. I don't think you're going to edit in weird stuff that I didn't say. I just trust you. Now, I, I trust you um, because I know you now a little bit. I mean, actually, we've never met. Um, we've only met uh, uh, through Zoom and conversations and so forth. But um, my feeling is I trust you. Now, I may be wrong, but I suspect I won't be. Okay? I, and, and so talking about trust, funnily enough, can be... Um, the source of distrust. So I'll turn it on its head. Let's look at it like this. How, how do you start doing trust? What's the beginning of trust? Okay. And the, the answer is it trust must start inside each individual. So the trust that I have in anybody or anything else must start in trusting me. I have to trust me first. And on that basis, I can trust other people. I mean, just see what happens if you try it differently. Let's say, um, I don't know, you're in a new school, you don't know what to do, or a new group, or a new gang, or a new company, and uh, you turn to someone who looks friendly, and you say, who are the good people around here? Who should I trust? And they say, oh, you should trust, you know, Tom and Jerry, and Bill and Ben, and uh, Frida Kahlo. And... Um, you, and you say, oh, great, thank you. That's really helpful, right? And you trust them for a while, and then life happens. And one day you wake up and you think, well, but why do I trust the person who told me to trust them? Why should I trust that person? How do I know? Right? And the answer is you've got, it. unless you trust yourself, you're going to have an endless string of people telling you to trust somebody else and you'll never know why you trust them, right? You'll always be a little bit adrift, right? A little bit like, why should I trust this person? If you trust yourself, then you can then judge, well, I'm going to trust this guy. I'm going to trust that person. I'm going to trust that woman, right? And after a while, you'll discover you make a few mistakes. You got it wrong, okay? But... Each one, each time you get it wrong, you learn something about it, if, if you're willing to learn. And you get better at trusting. I mean, it's, it's, it's just like a, 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 a motor skill, if you like, like juggling. How do you learn to juggle, right? You try. You literally, somebody will tell you what to do, but you've got to try and do it, right? I can explain to you what to do. Uh, that's not going to help you juggle. You actually have to do it yourself several times until you've taught your arms and your eyes to coordinate properly. And while you're learning, you're busy failing a lot. You're busy dropping the balls over and over and over again until you catch them properly. So trust is the emotional equivalent of that. You know, you have to get it wrong a few times until you get better at it. And you're never going to be perfect. Even the greatest jugglers in the world occasionally drop a ball, right? So that's, that's what trust is. It's a process. It's a, a sequence of decisions. And you get better at it, provided you're willing 
to know you get it wrong and to learn when you do get it wrong. Absolutely. I think that the idea of trust being a skill and when we are making these judgments on whether we trust or not, you know, we're, we're, we're pulling from inside of us lots of different experiences. We're using our like reptilian brain as well as our analytical brain. There's so many things that um, actually play a part to actually, you know, do we, do we trust this individual? Do we trust this transaction? Do we trust this piece of information? I think that a lot of people lose that trust from a certain situation and then they just like, they just don't trust anything. And there's obviously a big difference between, between, you know, being, let's say being skeptical about something or being skeptical about somebody and then being completely distrusting of that individual right from the back. So I feel like with being skeptic, there is trust there. Like you've got the potential for being trustful, but you're not there to commit it yet. But when it comes to, if I'm just going to distrust this, this person and what they're talking about right from the get go, I don't think I've got the ability to really listen to what's being said. And I'm never going to be in a position to be able to trust that person going forward. And the reason I kind of bring up that point is I'm talking about like information, especially wrapped around COVID, you know, like where people grab that, get their information, people rarely shift from those sources. And that's usually the one place that they go to because they, for some reason, whether one reason or another, they trust that source of information and they distrust other sources and have a lack of skepticism, which, you know, it's, it, that's an interesting, an interesting place to be. And it's an interesting balance to have. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of topics in uh, one little moment there. Um, Simon. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, so like, do I trust somebody? Um, that's like, that sounds like a no question, right? Do I, do I trust them? Yes. No, no, I don't. But actually in real life, it's, it's way more complicated than that. It's like, what I, what am I asking them to do? What do I trust them to do? Yeah. So, um, a taxi driver, uh, do I trust him to drive me? where I go, where I want to go, yeah? Um, well, nine times out of 10 or more than that, you know, 99 times out of 100, uh, yes, I do, yeah? Very occasionally, I think he's a bad driver or he's lost, but mostly I trust him. And I'll find out pretty quickly within the first, like, whatever it is, few hundred meters, you know, can he drive properly? Is he drunk? Does he know anywhere about the city that we're in, right? And yeah, I'm going to trust him to nearly always I trust to drive me where I want him to. Do I trust him to look after my finances uh, or to feed my children? No, that, like, no, absolutely not. Yeah, so I, I can trust somebody in one area and not in another area, and that's totally sensible. That's a very good attitude to have. Yeah, you don't trust complete people completely about everything unless you know them very well. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, a very that's a very good point. Yeah, in regards to people have their, you know, usually when you're engaging with somebody, there's there's a clear defined role there. Whether you're talking with a friend or you're talking with somebody who's providing you a service, there's clearly like a relationship there that just from just from society has dictated how that interaction kind of would go. And yeah, there will be different levels of 
of trust within that with within that engagement and obviously yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't allow this taxi driver stranger to you wouldn't trust him to feed your kid your kids but he's probably got the cap he's probably got the capability to do so but that 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 trust of that that's a that's that's leaving yourself to all types of vulnerability and so many parameters of of you know what's going to happen that's when you know you can't give too much trust to that to that individual that gets to a bit of a scary spot yeah and and, and there's context i mean you know i'm much more likely to get him strangely i'm more likely to trust him to feed my children than i would to trust him to look after my bank account um, so again that you know there's all sorts of wrinkles so what's that pointing to two things um, one context. Context is super important, right? It's it's a, a kind of mad idea to trust somebody about everything, everywhere, all the time. That's just a little bit. I mean, the only person really you should trust under those circumstances is yourself. And you should also know you're probably going to get it wrong as well and learn from it. So we should avoid absolutism just because we can define what we mean by trust. It doesn't mean that we should go for the complete version of it all the time. Um, you mentioned earlier a little bit about uh, COVID, you know, what we, where people get their information, who should they trust and so on. And um, I mean, oh, that's a, definitely a hot topic at the moment. Um, one of the things I observed a very long time ago, actually, when so remember, I'm a psychotherapist and a market researcher. So in both cases, I get to meet a whole load of different people. And as a qualitative market researcher, I literally met a, a, a properly structured and stratified cross-section of society through the UK and less broadly, but to some extent, in, in other parts of the world. But I really did meet a proper statistically sound cross-section of society. And, and what I found is that the vast majority of people um, are really helpful. They're really nice. They're kind. They want to get on with life. They're, they're nice. they, they want to help me and you and everybody else. Um, and they, they really only have two common problems that are very, very common all over the UK and certain more and also over the world. And that is that in spite of the fact that they're relatively astute and they know pretty well how to run their own lives, they are disempowered and misinformed. And they're particularly, I mean, I'll tell you a bit more about the misinformation. A lot of people are innumerate. They're not very good at assessing risk. They, they, they just don't, they, they don't really know, for example, that, um, you know, flying by an airplane is, you know, by a factor of thousands safer than driving a car and so forth. They're not good at risk assessment. They're not good at, at maths. But, and that's a sort of subsection of being misinformed. Where, where does that come from? Probably didn't pay enough attention at school. <laughs> well, if and we don't have, if we don't have these, us, if we, sorry, yeah, if we just, and that's a really, really important point, because I think that if we don't have, if we don't have a significant amount of risk in our lives, which relatively speaking today, most people really don't, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm talking about like wars and, you know, significant yeah. 
significant um risky situations where there's so much out of your hands you don't know what's going on you know like i just take world war ii for an example you know i think that you would come out of that whole scenario and situation depending on where you were located with being able to scale what's what's that what's risky and what's not risky and you'd have you know you'd be able to judge that a little bit better but now we have very very comfortable lives and as you say like unless that you're a, st a statistician a, stat a statistician you wouldn't know that flying flying in an airplane is a lot safer than you know driving in your car i don't think you would know that information but we just don't i think so many people now don't have experiences in their lives or the education in school to you know, discuss past experiences. If we don't have those, then our assessment of the assessment of risk is is kind of all over the place and not realistic. We can shoot to fear way too quickly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, another way of putting that is that for an, a good number of people, they've never really been in a very physically risky situation. Physically or risky, they've yeah. never been in an economically risky situation. So if you if you have a you know a safe job, for example, you know you have the and the same amount of money coming in every month and gradually more, whatever, you don't really know much about economic risk. If you've not started a business or lost money, you don't know much about it. And it would be a quite a frightening thought, you know, if if you're used to having so much money per month, not having it is like a big deal. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I noticed as an aside that um, a lot of the people I, I was talking to around COVID who were um, not particularly frightened around it and, and were somewhat skeptical about the numbers were, they had two things in common. One was they rode motorcycles and uh, the other was they didn't have a television. And, um, and that, that also describes me. I, I ride a motor, I've ridden a motorbike for years and I've never owned a television. So, as well as being largely risk enumerate, an awful lot of people are disempowered and misinformed. Now, that's kind of an arrogant thing of me to say, who are you to say they're disempowered and misinformed? Well, I'm observing it as a researcher. I mean, I would hear people say very intelligent, sensible things, and then they would say, oh, but, you know, who am I? You know, I've got, you know, I'm just Joe Bloggs, you know? Uh, and I think, well, you're you. You're, that's great that you're you. You know, your opinion is splendid. I want to hear it. It's just as good as anybody else's opinion. But a lot of people would say, no, 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 that's not really. No, nah, I mean, I'm just, you know, it's not like I'm on the telly or anything. Right. The television disempowers people. All those people who watch it and never appear on telly, they think there's something special about the people who are on the telly, like they're somehow they're better. Well, they've got to be, aren't they? They're, they're on the telly. They've succeeded. Right mostly it means they're kind of very strange and rather narcissistic and incredibly ambitious right that's if you why is that person on the television because they're narcissistic they're a bit weird and they're very very ambitious right um they're also um everybody else the rest of us are also misinformed right and how, why you might ask you know how who the hell are you hugh to tell us we are misinformed right okay like here's a little thought experiment um, I would like you to think of a subject which is your speciality, which you really know a lot about, 
right? It might be a hobby. It might be to do with your life experiences. It might be something that you've been obsessed about since you were 10 years old, whatever it is. Think of a, if you like, a speciality subject, which you know a great deal about. You, it's your thing. You've really studied it. You love it. Okay? Right. Whatever it is, pigeons, car mechanics, doesn't matter. Right? Now, remember a time when you either saw a TV program, saw a bit of the news, or read an article about that speciality subject. Okay? About the stuff that you know a lot about. And I'm going to tell you, the journalism, the journalism was inaccurate. It left something out, and they clearly didn't understand it properly. Is that not correct? That's very correct. Mine is mine is um, like digestion and microbiome and gut health. And right. there you go. Yeah, every diet magazine, every health right. section of any newspaper, and then again, yeah, on the TV as well. Yeah. Spot on. Now, it's, I mean, this isn't deliberate, by the way. It's a function of the medium. In other words, they don't have much time. And what their, their main issue is to keep your attention and to, to entertain you, right? So they don't really care about the topic. The, the job of the TV is to keep you interest, keep you watching, and to keep you entertained and watching and, and uh, if you like, hypnotized, keep you watching. That's the key thing. That's what they're trying to do. They tell you they're trying to educate you, but that's, you know, so much fluff, really. Yeah. That's not the job of the television. But the consequence of this, right, if you think about it, now, I just asked you about your speciality subject. Now, let's imagine there are a thousand, a hundred, a thousand, let's say there are 10,000 people listening to this podcast, right? You're all specialists in different areas, right? You all know something that I don't, that Simon doesn't, right? And probably nobody else watching or listening to this knows about it, but you do. You really do. And you happen to notice every time it gets written about, they get it a little bit wrong. Even when they're trying hard, they're just not accurate. They miss out the key issues or they misunderstand the key issues, right? Now, that's true of every single listener. It's actually true of, let us say, 99.9% .9 of journalism, right? Now, journalism, let's put it as two bits. There's fact bits and opinion bits. Well, an opinion is an opinion. That's fine. You can't, that's just, that's not about right and wrong. It's like, I think it's good or bad, right? But the fact bit, that's the bit that they consistently get wrong because it's too short, it's edited, and it's the bias is towards entertainment. So that's why so many of us are misinformed about uh, everything we get from the television and by extension, YouTube, uh, the internet, and so on. But hang on a moment, you might say to me, hang on, COVID, that wasn't about entertaining us. That was terrifying. You know, that was, they were scaring the pants off us. Why? That's, they're not trying to terrify us. Well, actually, fear is a fantastic way to keep you watching the television, right? It's just brilliant. If you're, if you're frightened and you don't know what the government's going to do next, or maybe, you know, COVID's going to bang on your door and infect you and your granny, you know, you, you're, that's, that's going to scare the hell out of you, isn't it? So you want to know all the latest about COVID. So you keep watching whatever nut, nutty stuff they tell you on the telly. And the more you watch it, the more likely you are to think, well, if they're saying it that much and that often, surely it's a kind of true, isn't it? No, that's, that's great. I mean, I think that 
the fact that you look at Hollywood, you look at Netflix, you look at all of these entertainment sources, you know, it all, it's all about emotion, you know, it's about fear, it's about fighting and, you know, all, all these most popular shows that do people, that do keep people locked in, watching hours after hours after hours late into the, late into the night when they know it's not good for them literally binging binging on these things people are yeah absolutely fascinated with the aspect of fear and i don't think we're very conscious about about that about the the emotional connectivity to something like that but without question you can just look at the last two years of these you know you can just you know 24 hour news channels is relatively a new thing you know like i remember mm -hmm. when you would get the 10 o'clock news and it would be 10 minutes or something you know like it'd be a, it'd be a you know they, they round up the most important the most important stories talk about them that was difficult enough most likely to get the really good stories to keep people entertained but now they've got to keep this going 24 hours a day it's just there's just going to be so much error and so much misinformation and so much just made up stuff to fill that time to provide this high level of like emotional entertainment for people to keep them locked in and COVID was a, you know, it's a great, was certainly a great opportunity for that. If you're able to say words like virus and infection and, you know, have the number tally going up and up and up and bar charts and all these things. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what these media outfits are going to do when it, when it finishes up, but, <laughs> but it's, um, it was a highly interest just as myself as an observer, just observing and making my own opinions about these things. First of all, I know kind of like how media works and what they're there to do. They're there to get eyes on the telly to make money. And I know yeah. that they're not going to necessarily tell, give me the factual information and provide me the references and provide me the journals and the studies where I can actually look them up and make up my own opinion about these things. It's like, this is how it is. Here we go. Like it's, it's super kind of just like one-sided and i also know the fact that where do these stations where do these news channels get their money from because whoever's funding them is going to have an agenda and an, and an idea about you know how they want these things presented you know you just have to look at america and how they're you know every three minutes you see a an ad for a pharmaceutical company i'll be like oh that's really interesting like it's interesting you don't see carrots and apples and organic foods being being splashed around there because that you know that might be quite healthy to do but yeah it's just interesting the perception of individuals do they have the backstory and the knowledge about kind of like how does media work and what they're there to do or are they just sat there listening and just absorbing this and having this psychological um, emotional biochemical experience happening to them yeah i mean i think it's also the case that the the TV um, really, they want a nice, clear emotional story. And uh, I mean, I don't know what happened in Canada, but in, in, in uh, Europe, there was a big deal at the beginning of the, what they call the pandemic, where uh, a lot of older people in Italy were sick all at the same time and were in the hospitals. And there was these very scary pictures. Well, again, if you know anything about how TV works or you've ever worked with the TV crew, you realize those are the pictures they're going to pick, right? If they go filming for like an hour and they're mostly walking down empty corridors or they go into a ward where it looks like every other ward, uh, 
that you know, people are sick and they're being looked after of footage to illustrate a story you're going to pick the scariest footage of course right because it's the best story right and once this lot have got the scariest footage out then everybody else wants. oh well we've got to have even scarier footage that like there's a there's a, a news competition to have even better scary footage uh, certainly in, around LA, there are helicopters that go up to to film police chases. They listen on the police radio and then they'll film the police chases. And they really love it if they can get one with, you know, lots of crashes and maybe a fatality or two, you know, because they get more viewers. It's like weird and sick, but they're looking for that kind of drama. That's what That's what drives TV viewer numbers. Now, the reality of, I don't know, for just consider the issues of... Um, well, the most topical one, right? Is it a good thing if you've had two vaccinations to have a third vaccination? Or if you're in Israel, a fourth vaccination, right? Um, and, and how many people are in hospital who've had two vaccines or three vaccines? And more importantly, as a proportion of the people who have no vaccines, one vaccine, two vaccines, three vaccines, which cohort generates the largest number of people in hospital? I mean, already that's a complicated question, right? Already, just that question. Well, hang on a minute. What do you mean by cohort? And what's this a bit about percentage? Isn't absolute numbers enough? Now, to, to cash that out and to make it clear and see where the highest risk is, particularly when in this entire scenario, all the risks are very low, right? So the risk from COVID for everybody under the age of 70 is incredibly low. It's something like 0.03% of people who have it um, really have it, not just test it, but really have it. Uh, succumb to the disease if you're under 70. And you almost certainly have other factors going on. So already I've got complicated just trying to explain one tiny little bit, okay? And we haven't got there yet, but the complications of looking at how, for example, vaccine efficacy fades, you know, which cohort you're in, what your age, it's complicated if you want to go into detail. If you want to zoom back, then you go, hang on a moment, COVID's not that risky. The vaccines that everybody's worrying about, they're not that risky either. I mean, they are risky for sure, but they're still not that risky. You know, we don't have people falling over in the street like we like that you had those pictures from Wuhan, which were faked, right? I mean, it's certainly risky and it looks like if you're a young athletic person, you shouldn't have a second vaccine if you're a young man, particularly. You're, you've got a higher risk of myocarditis from the vaccine than you have from COVID. But it's still a very small risk. I mean, there are literally millions of young men who've been vaccinated who are absolutely fine, right? So the whole problem is being ridiculously magnified. That's not to say you shouldn't Make up your own mind on the basis of your own research and do it your own way. You make, you know, trust yourself first. I would definitely say that. But um, you need a sense of proportion for the whole thing, right? The, 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 the so-called COVID pandemic was, was a panic, right? You didn't need the and bit in the middle. You just, it was just P-A-N-I-C. That's really what it was. Absolutely. I mean, 
yeah, I, I always come back to the you know, coming back to the word trust again and trusting yourself. And I think that is very, very difficult to trust when we've got so much going on in the external world. You know, we live in a world where our biology just has not caught up with the amount of external stimulation that we ha have going on. Like there's no way that we can process all of that information in, in a normal way. So I feel like if you did have good, let's say instinctual trust or just good instincts in general, whether to where to give your trust and where to not to, I think the fact that there's so much stuff coming at people that it's actually almost impossible to engage that trust element within you to make any kind of proper judgment. And I think that confuses people. I think that it really stops people from being able to look within themselves, taking a breath and saying, okay, this is what I feel. And this is what I want to do. And I just, yeah, I'd love to talk about maybe some ways that people can start to trust themselves a little bit more, because I think over the last couple of years, a lot of people have put their trust in wrong, in the wrong place. And that's outside of them. And I think the place to reset that has to come from, has to come from a place of inside. You're not going to find that on a YouTube channel or on a blog or on the TV. You're not going to find your kind of re trust reset button in any of those sources. So what, what, do, do you have any tool, tools for something like that? Tips? Yeah, I've got a few tips really. Um, because actually this, this problem is not uncommon. Okay, so it's a problem you come across in psychotherapy uh, where people, I mean, it's interesting, people would come in and they would say things like, you know, I, I know I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't be listening to my mother so much. And I, I kind of know what I want, but I don't know what to do. And I think, well, actually, you do know what to do. You just told me what to do. You just said, I must stop listening to my mother and do what I want to do, right? So they will tell you the answer over and over again. And then, but, oh, I can't do that, right? And, well, that's interesting. So my job is simply to help people trust themselves, right? Not, not because they're right about everything, because it's a process of learning how to get more and more right. So let's get, let's get very specific about this. Um, accept that you're going to get embarrassed from time to time about being wrong. Now, I've been wrong so many times, I've kind of over it, you know, now. I mean, I, you could prove me wrong now. Like, oh, no, oh, okay, oh, nightmare. <laughs> but uh, honestly, it won't be the first time in my life, you know. <laughs> I've screwed up a lot. And um, actually, to be honest, I don't think I've met anybody who hasn't screwed up. And I've met some very successful and very, very wealthy people and very happy people. And they've all screwed up too. It turns out that accepting that you screwed up is pretty vital. That's a really vital part of the learning process. But let's try and get it right all the same. So first of all, do it small. You know, trust yourself to bake a cake if you've never baked a cake before or cook a shepherd's pie or something like super simple, right? Just push yourself a little bit. And I love this one. Find some people with whom you disagree and talk to them. 
don't insult them. Don't scare them. Don't try to change their minds. Just talk to them and find out what they think. Be curious. And if they ask you about what you think, well, tell them what you think. But don't, don't tell them you're right and they're wrong. Just say, well, the way I see it is this. Yeah, just try it out. Because two things happen. One is you meet somebody, and if you're not trying to bully them or tell them they're wrong, you will learn something about someone else's point of view. And you will also discover that neither of you bursts into flames or vanishes in a puff of smoke. You can tolerate disagreeing with people. Right? And secondly, and perhaps this is more important, it will help you to clarify your own thinking. When I have to explain myself, it forces me to think more clearly, what do I really believe? What do I really want to say? I mean, one of the reasons I enjoy doing podcasts is, and, and any conversations actually, is because I find out a bit more about what I myself think. It's interesting to me. So do that. And if you do use the internet or watch the telly or whatever, Try and read or watch a little bit of the stuff that you naturally disagree with. So log on to the Daily Telegraph or the Guardian, ideally both, right? So if you naturally would go to the Guardian, look at the Telegraph. If you would naturally go to the Telegraph, look at the Guardian, right? Just and keep in touch just a little bit with the people who think completely differently from you. And the advantage is you discover you know, actually, this I don't know how many thousand people, hundreds of thousands of people perhaps read those two newspapers, and you're going to read an article and you think, well, that's disgraceful, that's rubbish, I totally disagree. You know, bloody Telegraph, right? Uh, or Guardian, doesn't matter, right? And um, you just get used to the fact that you probably do disagree with a lot of other people on the basis of your point of view. So, next step. Once you've got used to disagreeing with people and learning from it, and you, and you think, okay, now, now, oh, heck, I've got to trust somebody or not right now. I've got to make a decision, right? Do I do this podcast, right? Is it going to ruin my reputation or not? Right? Well, so I ask myself a question, and I ask it in three ways. I ask my head, I ask my heart, and I ask my hips. In other words, I ask my, my intellect, I ask my emotions, and I ask my physicality, right? So my intellect says, oh, that's a really clever idea. I think that's a really good view. You're having a really fun time. And then my heart says, stop gibbering, <laughs> right? Nobody wants that many ideas, right? What really matters is do we connect with each other? Even if it's only over a silly little story, those things matter far more than me having a bunch of ideas about stuff, right? If I can make a nice connection, fantastic. And I ask my hips, that's my body, you know, I use the word hips because it's got that, you know, it's that area around the, the sexuality and it's an important point, you know, we're all people with sexuality and so we have to kind of pay attention to that. But it's also part of our animal instinct, the animal instinct, which we probably can't put into words, but it's worth paying attention to that, you know, does my animal trust your animal? Right? Do I trust my own animal to make this right decision? So that's a, a useful, if you're, if you're really lost, you don't know what to do. Um, actually, I've got a, a little preparatory one, which is feel your feet, get into your body so that you, you're here, not lost in fear and ideas and crazy and this, that and the other, all that, you know, all that excessive information. Get into your body, 
ask your head, your heart, and your hips, and uh, and listen, and they'll tell you whether you should trust somebody or something. Let me just I, I'm just four more things, Simon, because you mentioned this before, and I want to just put a little bit out there, which is that there's so much information that one of the skills we need in, in the modern era is discernment, the ability to separate out the trash from the valuable stuff. And that's really hard, yeah? But trying to pay attention to it all or learn it all is a fool's game, that you're just gonna fail, let me tell you straight away. You already know that. There's no way you can know everything about a single topic, let alone all of the stuff you have to deal with in your life. So you have to get better and better at finding quality sources or what are the things that indicate to you that this is worthwhile or meaningful or intelligent. Yeah, we could do another whole podcast on discernment. Secondly, what are your principles? They will help you make a decision, right? If you think to yourself, I kind of want to do, I want, if I do a deal, I want both sides of the deal to be happy, to have agreed it, yeah? That means I'm not gonna slide in a, a cheeky little clause that allows me to pull back the money in a way that you didn't notice, right? I mean, maybe I could do it, I'm a clever. You know, when I was a kid, I used to win arguments all the time. Not because I was right, but because I was good at winning arguments. Yeah. It got me nowhere. I mean, everybody hated me. You know, I eventually hated myself. I thought, just stop it. Just stop being such a clever tosspot. You know, just shut up, right? And, and like for about three or four years, I would literally win ridiculous arguments. And people would be staggering. Like, well, how did he do that? And that's, I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong. I go, yeah, prove it. Ha-ha. You know, I was a jerk, I have to tell you. And I had to give up, right? Winning the argument is not the point. The question is, what's worth doing? What's valuable, all right? So keep your principles. You know, you may discover you're talented at things that you shouldn't be good at, so give it up. Um, keep a sense of proportion. The whole of the COVID thing, the biggest single error is a lack of proportion, right? Yes, COVID exists. Yes, some people died. Same, you know, pneumonia exists, influenza exists, people die of these things. Nothing like the numbers of people who die of heart disease, cancer, and diabetes, but people did die of, of COVID, right? And, and a few people will continue to die of COVID, very old people and people with comorbidities, right? But let's get it in proportion. More people die of all other things all the bloody time, right? And we don't need to spend that much money on COVID. The same is true with vaccines. They're mostly harmless, but they are a bit dangerous for certain groups of people, but you don't goddamn need one. You, the, the, it's like getting, I don't know, a vaccine that, uh, with a one in a thousand chance of killing you against the common cold. Just get a bloody cold. Right? So you need a sense of proportion and then it blows all the other trash out. You don't need to pay attention to it. Keep a sense of proportion. And finally, if we're talking about trust, Trust yourself to trust some people. Occasionally you'll get it wrong, but when you find people that you do trust and you can trust, then you can learn from them. Because there's nobody in the whole world who thinks exactly like you. So they're going to disagree with you, these people. And if you trust them, you're gonna learn from them a bit. Let them talk to you, let them educate you. Let them tell you stuff that you don't know. So do trust people, but
but learn to be very, very skeptical of theories. People learn things, people change, and people have hearts. Theories don't change. They don't learn anything, they're inanimate and they don't have hearts. And almost all of them eventually turn out to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think the I think the biggest the biggest point you made there for me that really resonated with me was the you know, connecting and listening to other people who might have opposing opinions. And I think the big the best the, the best reason to do that is because you will humanize the opposition. Because at this, at this point, it is, it's one side or another side, whatever topic it may be, you will have your mm -hmm. opinion and you will have your, your gang who also agree with you. But then there's this other gang, you know, the Jets, who, thinks, <laughs> th who think differently, you know, and I think that without sitting and chatting with those individuals and listening to them, you know, without trying to speak over them or just thinking about what you're going to say next, sitting there and listening to them and being present with those individuals completely humanizes the other point of view. And I think that it, it allows people to realize, okay, this person at the end of the day, this group of people, the jets, they're just a bunch of human beings just trying to make it through life who just might think differently than me. And I think that is a really big aspect of dealing with your own emotional turmoil about the other side and the other part of the conversation i think to, to do to to give yourself a little bit more stability and to you know no one wants to live in the stress of stressful emotions too long you know it's just not healthy so to be able to help yourself having those individual conversations with people and humanizing it is very very important and the second point which i really love as well is without question i mean nobody does it when they're young especially as a young adult or a teenager but being wrong is totally okay we have a awful problem in a whole society of having a fear of being wrong or misspeaking or looking like an idiot um i myself as well i have been wrong a billion times and i've made myself look like a idiot even more than that and it's turned me into a much more um courageous individual just to know that i i'm completely open to being wrong at all times with anything therefore i feel like i can walk through world and walk through the world and have conversations with people and being open and being skeptical to things a lot easier because i'm not i'm not bound to this to these opinions that i might formulate just from the information that I get and my own experiences I think that that's a dangerous place to be I think being way one to being opinionated on one side is never helpful it's also just going to push people away and you're just going to be connected with those people who think the same as you and that's boring how boring is that just to you know have a group of individuals that say the same thing as you and think the same thing as you and I, I don't think that's a healthy place to be in so yeah i really appreciate those recommendations hugh thank you no at all. it's kind of easier for me you know because I've, I've 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 only ever had one job in my life i've otherwise i've worked for myself and i'm completely used to disagreeing with people i, I I've, I've never or i've got a lot of friends and i always disagree with them about something i just that's what i do i, I i'm naturally i see things differently from 
other people and I kind of got used to it and um, yeah sometimes just like you sometimes it was catastrophically wrong <laughs> but um but you survive and uh, and uh, if you're lucky you learn but it can take a long time I must say you know I can make a mistake and not realize what I really should do until 10 years later but hey certainly I think, That's like... I think I think <laughs> I think trust and fear and being incorrect I think all these things develop with age without question um you know i think we're all very different people than we were five years ago 10 years ago 15 20 30 years ago and we evolve and we develop and it's it's definitely it's certainly a part of life but when something quite emotional comes up like like covid i think it's important to take a step back realize that we're all human we're all trying to get in the same place and um what can what can we do to start reconnecting with people and start building those relationships again, regardless of opinions, because, you know, I know people who have lost family members and lost friends, really good friends over opinions and beliefs over COVID. And it's, it's a massive shame because it's one of the truly remarkable things about being human is to connect and listen and share stories and, and laugh and cry and do all these things that, you know, make us the incredible thing that we are. Indeed. Wonderful. We're going to wrap that up here. I really appreciate your time today. Where can people connect with you? So um, I have a I have a podcast actually with my colleague Leah Lechtenberg, and uh, we have a website which is uh, powerhouseclass.com. I have my own blog at Hugh Wilborn com so let's maybe you can put this in the blurb for me simon but i'll spell it for people um h-u-g-h-w-i-l-l-b-o-u-r-n.com so i have a blog and there are links there to the podcast and to trainings and goodness knows what else um but like actually my name is pretty unusual so you could just google me you know i'm pretty much the only person in the world called hugh wilborn h-u-g-h-w-i-l-l-b-o-u-r-n there you go. Amazing. And I will make sure that those links are in the show notes so people can connect with you and connect with your blog and your podcast. Congratulations on launching that, by the way. It's not an easy thing to do. Thank you. Thank you very much. And um, uh, thank you once again for inviting me. And um, hunt around, guys. Listen to this guy's uh, other episodes. There's some, there's some great stuff there. Appreciate that, Hugh. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, any information that you require, any links that we spoke about in the show will, will be in the show notes. Um, don't forget to subscribe yet if you haven't. But thank you so much for listening. This is True Hope Podcast, the official podcast of True Hope Canada. We'll see you next week. <laughs>